Welcome to the Present Fathers Podcast. This is the show that focuses on climbing the mountain of fatherhood together. We believe that dads matter. That's why this show is for you. So gear up, dads. Get ready. It's time to start climbing. Welcome to the Present Fathers Podcast. Our guest today is Drew Manning. Drew is also known as Fit to Fat to Fit. He is a fitness trainer who gained over 60 pounds twice on purpose to better empathize with his clients and understand their struggles. So, Drew, we are very excited to have you. Welcome to the show, man. Uh, I'm grateful to be here. Thanks for having me on, you guys. Yeah, it's, uh, I'm really excited. Um, obviously, your story is pretty crazy, <laughs> intentionally gaining all that weight twice. So uh, let's level set real quick, though, just for the audience. Tell us a little bit about who Drew is and um, you know, you've been a dad, obviously, for a little while. Tell us about that and your family, and yeah. we'll go from there. Yeah, so I grew up in a family of 11 brothers and sisters, all from the same mom and dad. I had eight boys and three girls, and we all grew up playing sports. I grew up most of my life in Southern California, um, but I've lived all over. lived in Virginia, uh, Chicago, Utah, Illinois. Um, uh, I live in Hawaii currently. Uh, I lived in Brazil for two years, actually, when I was 19. Um, and, uh, you know, playing sports my whole life really helped me develop this, uh, sense of love for being in shape, staying in shape, uh, playing football, American football and wrestling since I was a, a little kid. And so that was a really big part of my life, fitness and health. Um, <clears throat> just because I remember watching like, you know, growing up in the eighties, watching like movies like Conan and, <laughs> you know, Predator and just thought that was the coolest thing to be like strong. And, you know, and I saw my Get older brother play football. <laughs> exactly. Like those are like classic movies that really shaped my mindset around like health and fitness and wanting to be like strong. And then I saw my older brothers play football and wrestle and they were pretty good. And then I, I kind of, you know, excelled at those sports as well. And so for me, health and fitness is something that kind of came pretty easily for me. Um, you know, and, um, it's always been a passion of mine and it didn't become my career until around 2009. Um, I was married at the time and uh, I got married in 2005, by the way. And, uh, I have two girls that are 12 and 14. I was married for 10 years. I'm divorced. So we can, I'm sure we can dive into all of that, but, you know, um, I was, I got a degree in business management. And then was working as a financial analyst and then did a complete 180 into the medical field. And then 2008, 2009 happened, the economy tanked and I had to like, you know, I couldn't get a job to save my life. And so at this time I was like really trying to figure out what am I going to do? How am I going to support my family? You know, we just got pregnant for the first time. And so I was like doing whatever it took because like I could get interviews all day because of my resume, but the economy was so terrible. I just couldn't get a job offer. Right. <clears throat> and so I was doing manual labor jobs, like construction just to pay the bills. And I was like, you know what, what am I passionate about? Health and fitness has always been something I'm interested in. So I decided to become certified as a personal trainer. And, um, <laughs> you know, I did. And, um, I started taking on clients on the side and then this idea of fit to fat to fit just kind of came out of nowhere because I was like thinking of ideas, like, how can I make a bigger impact? And actually what happened was, a lot of people don't know this story, but I was training my brother-in-law at the time who wanted me to help him lose weight. And I would get so frustrated with him because I would see him at family events and he'd be eating all like the delicious foods and stuff. 
And I was like, dude, what are you doing? Like, I thought we were, I thought I was helping you lose weight. And here you are at this family event, like eating all the food. And he's like, well, you know, I, I don't, I, I still want to eat the food. And I'm like, I, would, I remember just being frustrated. I would totally judge him and be like, what's wrong with you? Why don't you just have discipline and willpower and just put the junk food down and like, just stop eating it. Right. Cause uh, for me in my mind, it just seems so simple. Like, dude, if you just stop eating junk food and you go to the gym, it's not that hard. You just do it and then you'll lose the weight. And, you know, he would tell me, he's like, Drew, you don't understand how hard it is for me or for people like me, because for you, it's always been easy. And I kind of took that to heart. I'm like, you know what? He's right. Like, I don't understand why it's hard for people. Cause I used to be a very judgmental person growing up. And so I was thinking of ideas of how I could gain a better understanding. And then boom, this idea of getting fat on purpose, <laughs> I know it sounds crazy, like entered my mind and the rest is history. That's uh, it's pretty funny to just like hear it out loud in that way. You know, it's like, oh, just put fat on purpose, you know? Um, so thanks for, for giving us your background there. And, uh, you know, just being honest too about, you know, like how, how you saw things and I'll, I'll be honest as well, like that, I kind of struggle with that. So I'm, I'm really, really excited to kind of learn from you on how it changed your mindset going through this, because I could probably mm. use a note for that myself. So, um, that was kind of your background getting into it. So let's, I guess let's dive into that journey. So like, when did you like yeah. pull the trigger on, Hey, let's, let's go ahead and start gaining the weight. And so I can start understanding <laughs> people and like, what, what was that whole process? Cause to me, it just seems like so insane, you know? Yeah. So what's funny is my wife was actually pregnant at the time and she was like very supportive of my journey. And she's like, so you're telling me we're going to have junk food in the house, like while I'm pregnant. She's like, awesome. You should totally do it. <laughs> so she was in full support of me doing this fit to fat journey uh, as she was being, as she was pregnant at the time. And so this was around 2011. And, and just to give you guys a little bit of background as well, like I didn't have a marketing strategy. I didn't have like media connections, <clears throat> you know, I was working at this time in the medical field, just kind of doing whatever it took to support my family. And I was like, let me, you know, find out how to start a website. Let me find out how to start a YouTube channel. Back in 2011, social media was, you know, there was like Facebook and YouTube and that's pretty much it. <laughs> you know, there was no like live streaming or, TikTok or you yeah. know Insta stories <laughs> there was none of that and so there were really podcasts you know, yeah <laughs> there were a few podcasts but like it, was, it wasn't mainstream yet right. right so like I just um <clears throat> came up with this idea like hey six months I'm gonna stop exercising I'm gonna eat a standard American diet and I'm gonna document my journey as best I can so I created my website on Squarespace right didn't really know what I was doing <clears throat> and just put it like an update once a week on the, my uh, picture of what I looked like at the, you know, at my weigh-in, I would do a weigh-in at the end of each week. <clears throat> and before you know it, this story kind of went viral. Like after a few months of me just like posting about it, like, you know, eventually like some other bloggers, that's the thing that was popular back then or blog looks like fitness bloggers, like interviewed me. And one of them struck a chord with like Yahoo. And before you know it, like, I remember I was in surgery no, <clears throat> uh, not me and myself, but I was working in a surgery. And so as soon as I came out, I had like, like my website was shut down because uh, my story ended up on yahoo.com and like everyone like, and their mom was trying to get a hold of me, like old friends from high school, TV producers. My mom was like, Dr. Oz, someone from his show called trying to get a hold of you. And I was just like, what is happening? Like, I had no idea any of this would even take place. So I just want to give people in a better understanding. Like I had no intention of this thing becoming a thing, but it, it, it did. And I felt very fortunate. And so 
that's kind of the gist of the story is like six months, no exercise, standard American diet, put on 75 pounds of pure fat in that time. And then it was, it was one of the hardest, most humbling things I've ever done. It totally changed my perspective. It gave me more respect and more empathy for people who are overweight. And, you know, like I said, I used to be judgmental before after being humbled, I had a better understanding of, of why people emotionally eat and why people get stuck in this, these cycles of self-sabotage or um, low self-esteem and why food becomes the most easily accessible drug to numb ourselves from the emotional pains of life. Because not everyone is going to go on the street and find cocaine and heroin to escape, but food is the easiest way to do that. And you could do it multiple times per day and get these little dopamine hits that I'll be honest with you, like <laughs> the food tastes amazing <laughs> and it does make you temporarily feel better. So it is kind of like a mask for the the pains that we go through in life and food is just an easy escape. And so I have a lot of empathy now and a better understanding of why people get stuck in these cycles and they do this for years and years. And so that's what changed me as a, as a man, as a human, uh, to, to better empathize with people that struggle with their weight. And it's not just as simple as like, you know, willpowering your way out of it. Like that's telling, like telling a drug addict, like, Hey, just stop doing drugs. Like it's that easy. Just don't do it. Right. Um, so anyways, <clears throat> I, I, luckily I lost the weight. <laughs> I, I got back to fit. Otherwise this wouldn't really be a conversation, <laughs> but I did lose the weight, but it was way harder than I thought it was going to be. And like I said, it was very humbling. And that's when the book deal happened. That's when the TV show happened. And that's when I made a career out of this because it became a thing. Like, that's the thing. I didn't know it was going to become a thing, but it did become a thing. And this was back 12 years ago. That's amazing, man. Uh, <laughs> I can't even imagine. I do love a good cheeseburger too. So I'm guilty of that. But um, <laughs> I guess the question I have is what is the most important thing you learned from this experience? What'd you take away? The biggest thing that I learned is that transformation is not just physical. Like we like to think, you know, weight loss is just macros and calories and exercise and supplements. And like, if you do these things, then you'll get this body. And then once you have this body, then you'll be happy in life and all your problems will go away. And we think it's just a physical thing. The problem is we, as humans, we're emotional creatures. And so transformation is way more mental and emotional than people think it is. And so <clears throat> people come to me like, okay, I want to lose weight. And like, what's the, what diet should I do? What exercises should I do? And for me, that's just one small piece of the puzzle. Because if you don't understand why you do what you do, and you don't do the inner work as well as working out, then yeah, you can willpower your way to lose weight for a period of time or for a season or two or for a year. But most people revert back to their old thought patterns and behaviors because they don't ever change their mindset. And so <clears throat> this is why a lot of people, you know, lose the weight, then gain the weight back multiple times because their mindset never changes. And they don't really figure out why they are the way they are, or why they do what they do. And so for me, my approach to health and fitness now is kind of more of, of a more holistic approach that tackles people's mental and emotional challenges and doing the inner work instead of just, hey, do this hard workout and this will fix your body and then your body now that it's ripped and shredded, then you'll be happy forever. We're trying to fill this, people are trying to fill this void with this body, for example, like if they get this body, then this void that they feel in their life will be filled and might happen temporarily. Like if you were to get a million dollars today, you probably feel very happy at first, but over the course of months and years that fades away. 
And that's not where, uh, like, if you're trying to fill that void with some kind of outside source, like a, a, a you know, 10% body fat, you know, ripped shredded body, it lasts for a little bit, but then it goes away. And so what my approach is now is more so helping people on the mental emotional side, because that's where it sticks. That's where, you know, the change lasts for long, uh, for a lifetime. It, honestly, if they learn, you know, how to overcome those mental and emotional hurdles. I like that. Um, so I actually had a, another question that kind of piggybacks off that. So you, you spoke a little bit about some of the things that, that folks can get addicted to with the food, but no one really talks yeah. about alcohol, uh, especially yeah. after COVID. A lot of people drank during COVID. Uh, can you can you dive into that a little bit if you actually cut that out and, and what that process looks like? Yeah, so I grew up um, very religious background. I didn't grow up drinking. Um, so alcohol has never really been a, an issue for me, but I kind of falls into the same category as food, but not everyone that drinks alcohol becomes an alcoholic and not everybody that eats cake and ice cream, ice cream becomes morbidly obese and becomes a food addict, right? There's plenty of people that can have cake and ice cream and just be okay with just, you know, uh, occasionally. And there's some people that can drink alcohol and, and not have to have it every night. The problem is, I think what it comes down to is intention. And this is why one of the practices I use is something called intentional eating. And what I have my clients do is set an intention before they eat. Like, what is your intention with, you know, wanting to eat this food, whether it's cake and ice cream, whether it's, you know, chicken and broccoli, whatever it is, set an intention. And if your intention is to escape the uncomfortable, hard, emotional, uh, hard emotions of life, then just be honest with yourself about that. The same goes for alcohol. Like if your intention is to drink by yourself at midnight because you're sad over a breakup or you're you know, going through financial issues and you're looking to take the edge off, then be honest with yourself about why you're doing that. And if you're con if you're doing that more often than not, then most likely it's going to become a problem, whether it's alcohol or drugs or food or sex or porn or social media, whatever it is, setting an intention changes everything. Because if my intention is, for example, it's not the substance that's the problem. Like I said, it's the intention with the substance. So if, if, if your intention is to like you guys are going out for a beer with your your buddies, you haven't seen each other in months, and it's someone's birthday, and your intention is to have a bonding experience or moment with your your boys, that's completely different than drinking yourself till you pass out at midnight um, alone in your room because you're going through some hard things in life. That's the that's the biggest difference right there. So whether it's food, alcohol, drugs, that the substance isn't the issue. It's it's the intention behind it. And that's kind of what I help people try and figure out is what is your intention with wanting to eat this cupcake or wanting to eat whatever it is or drink this or that. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Motives and intentionality sense. is like one of the most important things, especially like you were talking, changing the mindset. Right. So walk us through for some dads. Let's say we have some dads that yeah. might have some addictions that they're suffering from. What would you what would your first steps be to help uh, these dads uh, break these mindsets? Yeah, it's a really good question. The, honestly, the biggest step to overcome any addiction is self-awareness. And there's a good quote that I love by Anthony DeMello. And he says, what you're aware of, you're in control of. And what you're not aware of is in control of you. And that's so powerful because mm -hmm. until we become aware of why we are the way we are, we're just going to keep doing, repeating these patterns because the subconscious mind is your autopilot. I don't know if, it, I don't know if you guys have seen the movie Click with Adam Sandler. It's a funny, goofy movie where he just kind of like wants to fast forward through the boring parts of his life and he just 
you know, he's on autopilot. So he's there, but he's not there. And that's how most of us are with, uh, when we're, when we let the subconscious mind, which is kind of our programming and our autopilot, just kind of do what it does. We're never truly fully present in the moment <clears throat> and we're never truly aware of why we're doing what we're doing. So that's like mindless eating, right? We're just like eating because the food tastes good. We're like checking our phone as we're stuffing our face with whatever food. We're not truly present with our family or kids. And so the biggest step is self-awareness. So how do you become self-aware? This is, you have to come up with a practice of becoming the observer of your thoughts rather than becoming your thoughts. And so if I could describe like a visual for you guys is as, as humans, there's stimulus that happens in our life, right? Like maybe we get into an argument or maybe we smell food or, you know, some kind of stimulus happens, right? It's a trigger. And if we just respond without any space between, that's like running on autopilot. That's the subconscious mind taking this stimulus and say, okay, this is what we do when this thing happens, when this stressful thing happens, boom, here's the stimulus that, or here, here's the response that we've always done. Right. And you do that, you know, year after year, decade after decade. So like you're stressed out, you get an argument with your wife, you drink alcohol or you, you know, eat this food, right? Uh, whatever it is you use to escape. The more space you can create between stimulus and response, the more power you have to control how you want to react in that situation. So what are some practices to build self-awareness and to create space between stimulus and response? There's lots of things that work for people. Here's just a list of few of them that have worked for me over the years. And the reason I'm talking about this, you guys, is because going through my divorce, which happened about the same time that I left my religion, brought uh, pushed me down this path of, of doing the inner work on myself. And so as I'm talking about this, it's because I've actually done this work because I needed to figure myself out <laughs> and so things like therapy were a huge huge you know um benefit for me to become the observer of my thoughts and to be less reactive and to take uh have a push pause between stimulus and response so therapy talk therapy was great a life coach i would throw in there as well meditation was a huge thing that i didn't grow up doing because i thought it was very woo woo and just like that's for like monks and stuff like that but then I started doing it and realizing, wow, this is very powerful. This is a powerful tool to help me become the observer of my thoughts rather than just attach myself to my thoughts and just be reactive my whole life. So meditation, I'm going to throw in there. Journaling as well. Journaling your thoughts or journaling about your day to see yourself as you act like, okay, this is what happened in this situation. You can kind of observe your life from a, you know a, a observer standpoint that can help out as well. Um, things like breath work, taking a few deep breaths before you <laughs> react. Like if your kids spill something, I'm sure a lot of us have yelled at our kids or like our, our wife's, our wife has said something and like you just instantly get defensive and react. Um, breath work is great. Um, getting out in nature, going for a walk, exercising. There's a whole list of things that I would give to dads. Like, but these are just a few of them that help build that, space between stimulus and response that's Does that makes sense fan, yes that's so fantastic because alan watt says uh to be a master of your thoughts and not a slave of them right and so that's that's yeah. pretty much the key right there i love it great answer thank you yeah kind of like carl young he says you know until you make the subconscious conscious you know um uh you it will dictate your life and you'll call it fate so yeah. that's what i'm saying it's like you got to make the subconscious conscious and i think 95% of us, or sorry, we spend 95% of our day in the subconscious mind. 
five percent of the time we're conscious, like really present and truly aware. So that's huge. Yeah, I really like how you honed in on intentionality uh, earlier as well, because you know people will ask us, "What does it mean to be a present father?" And that's usually my answer. Mm-hmm. It means to be in, very intentional about everything you're doing, because in order to take that pause and have the thoughtful intention behind whatever it is you're doing, you have to kind of tune out everything else, observe what it is that's driving you, and, and make yourself be there in that moment, right? Um, Amen. So through through this whole process of learning not just about fitness and and having empathy for your clients um what have you learned that's helped you be a better dad and and kind of what you know how can Mm. you pass that on to other dads out there who can kind of learn from your example yeah that's a really good question so kind of like hopefully you guys are okay with me talking about a little bit about my story it kind of paints the picture for this journey for me like when i went through my divorce and left my religion around the same time that was like my rock bottom moment and those were two important factors of who of my identity and who I was. So I had this huge identity crisis, as you can imagine, going through, you know, being married for 10 years and then having these two big things happen. Like I was at my rock bottom. The thing that pulled me out of that rock bottom was being a dad was, okay, if I want to show up and give my daughters the best life possible, that's going to require me being the best version of myself. And in order to be the best version of myself, I can't stay stuck in this victim mindset of like, you know, woe is me and like the self-sabotage mode for the rest of my life, because then I will unintentionally pass these patterns and behaviors on to my daughters and they'll suffer because I'm not willing to do the work on myself. And so I think for all the dads out there, you have to at some point go on this self-discovery journey to figure out who you are and why you are the way you are and who you want to become. And I think for me, that was the thing that pulled me out of that dark place was showing up as the best version of me so that I didn't unintentionally pass these patterns onto my daughters. There's a good quote that I love that says, if you don't heal what hurts you, you're going to bleed on those who didn't cut you. And that's, I think a lot of parents, moms, dads do this uh, unintentionally because of of a lack of self-awareness. They pass these patterns onto their kids because they, they're not willing to do the inner work on themselves. And that's why things get taught, you know, bad patterns like racism or hate get passed on from generation to generation until someone's willing to break that cycle and, and do the work on themselves so that they're, you know, the next generation and the next generation don't have to suffer those same patterns. And so for me, that was what really motivated me to do the work. And I think if you're a dad out there and you're struggling, it's easy to do a workout. It's easy to like do a diet in comparison to doing the inner work, going to therapy, admitting that you need help, embracing vulnerability as a strength because our whole life we've been taught that it's a weakness to be vulnerable, right? We're, we're taught that it's a weakness to show emotion. And I think for me, you know, reading books by Brene Brown, learning about vulnerability have really change my mindset around that whole thing. Because for me, if I stayed in that mindset, I would be too prideful um, to do the work on myself and admit it and and admit that I I actually needed some help. And so for me, that's where my healing journey started, started to happen. And so being open to things outside of maybe what you feel comfortable with. And like we talk about in health and fitness all the time, like get out of your comfort zone. The same goes for the mental and emotional stuff we have to do in life too. get out of your comfort zone. You can still do the hard things like do some hard workouts and, you know, um, be, you know, take care of your physical health because that's a part of it. 
but that's not the only piece that, that you need to work on. That's the easy work, in my opinion. The hard work is facing your inner demons and, and doing the inner work so that you break those patterns. And so, like I said, meditation, therapy, life coaching, journaling, um, breath work, getting out in nature, um, um, letting go of your ego. Like I love Ryan Holiday's books. Um, you know, ego is the enemy. Stillness is the key. The obstacle is the way. These are all really good books um, to help uh, reshape your mindset. And at the end of the day, if you want to change who, who you are, it has to come from a place of changing your identity. It can't come from a place of like uh, willpower and discipline only. Right. Like you can't just be David Goggins and like, uh, yes, some people can, but let's be honest, most people willpower, it doesn't work. Right. Um, <laughs> you know, at least for long lasting change. Yeah. And I mean, so, I love the, I love the line from atomic habits where you don't um, rise to your potential, you fall to your systems. And that's kind of yes. that mindset of like, you know, most of us are just mere mortals, right? We're going to fall to what, we've set in place and that's the best we're going to do. And that's, that's fine. Cause that's, you know, like you said, like David Goggins and stuff, those, those people are the exception to the rules. Right? So, <laughs> Who's yeah. going to carry the boats? <laughs> yeah. You don't know me. You son. don't know me, son. We're, we're going to get Justin going. He's a huge Goggins fan. But, um, but yeah, I just, I love how, how candid you are about that because I, I think, you know, a lot of people would probably, yeah. if they only saw you on social media, they think, Oh, that guy's always had all his stuff together. Right. And that's probably no. the first thought people have. And, and it's just not true. No, no one is that way. We all have something or something will happen to us that creates kind of that crisis. But uh, yeah, I couldn't agree more that it, it's the way you think about things. It's intentional words, right? Like, so a great example too from Atomic Habits was if someone says, well, I'm, I'm trying to quit smoking. They're not actually going mm. to quit because they're saying, yeah. well, I'm trying to, they've already in their heads in the subconscious, they, they aren't going to break the habit. But if you just say, I'm not a smoker, yeah, there's a, there's a there's a lot of power in your self talk and your words. So back to intention and things like that. So sorry to mean to cut you off, but um, no, yeah, just really wanted to jump in on that. But uh, <laughs> I've got the next question for you. Sure. Yeah, actually, I'm going to quote Bluey first. The obstacle isn't in the yeah. path; it is the path. Amen. So I had to. I, I love that one. But um, <laughs> I recently uh, saw you post about conscious fitness. Um, yeah. Can you explain a little bit about what that is and how does that apply to fathers? Yeah. Amen. Thanks for letting me talk about that. Cause that's kind of like my new age approach to health and fitness. You know, we've all seen the typical approach to health and fitness, like, Oh, I'm overweight. I got to change. I just got to like be disciplined and willpower my way to this new body and this new body. Well then I'll be happy. Right. And so conscious fitness is kind of what we're talking about here is taking the mental emotional struggles that people have and, um, and understanding the parallels between the physical transformation and the mental and emotional uh, challenges that come with that transformation. And it's about the inner work versus working out and doing those together. And so that's what conscious fitness is. It's learning how to do really, really hard things. But instead of looking at those hard things as a chore or a punishment, when you learn how to operate at a place of self-love and you believe that you are worthy of good physical health, mental health, and spiritual health, then those things change from being a chore or a punishment to things that actually, if you're being honest with yourself, feel really good. Maybe not in the moment. Of course, exercise sucks in the moment. Eating chicken and broccoli in the moment isn't as satisfying as eating cake and ice cream in the moment. But the last, the, the long-term uh, changes that come with that, you have to realize that you're worthy of that. And if you believe you're worthy of that, then you can still use that self-love as motivation to do some really hard things still but not from a place of punishment anymore. 
And that's where lasting, fulfilling change happens. And that's what conscious fitness is. It's like if you brought David Goggins and Brene Brown, you know, this 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 ability to push yourself to do really hard uh, physical things, but also on the mental and emotional side that we talked talked about, but doing it from a place of self-love and worthiness, those two coming together to create a conscious fitness approach where it's not about um, you know, doing these things as a punishment or a chore or you know, hating yourself to skinny, if you will. Um, and that's kind of my new age approach to health and fitness that I think will be, um, you know, a more holistic approach where it kind of ties in the, um, the mental and emotional side. So what does that look like? So when I work with people on the conscious fitness side, we're doing, you know, exercises, we're, you know, uh, eating healthy food, of course, we're doing all the physical things we know we're supposed to do. But the work, but then we're incorporating things like breath work, meditation, journaling, gratitude, positive affirmations, um, the inner work, as well as the working out, if that makes sense. Yeah, you got to have mind, body and spirit all working together. And um, side note, you, you've now given me an inspiration to try and pull together an episode with Brene Brown and David Goggins to teach a, a there course. We go. <laughs> <laughs> that would be the funniest course ever. <laughs> They're like polar That's opposites so in terms of like how they motivate so true people. but i would love to see them come together so at some point i bet they i bet they something. can figure it out but that'd be yeah. a insight <laughs> sorry to take us off course brandon bring us back That's okay yeah sure so we're talking about all the the benefits of fitness and and health and why we're doing fitness for health right but yeah as far as like the the bad things that you saw specifically when you were getting unhealthy and you were getting fat uh maybe can you elaborate and compare and contrast between the two like what was something that was really surprising when you when you were fat um, that, yeah. it's, that you really wanted to get back to being fit. Right. Um, can you, mm -hmm. can you elaborate some of that? Cause I think as dads, like you said, it's, it's an investment long-term for us to be the healthiest that we can be. And, you know, yeah. like cholesterol and blood work and stuff catches up with us. I mean, I'm, I'm healthy, but mine even catches up with me. Right. Yeah. So I, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, hundred percent. And this is the this is the thing. It's really hard to be happy and fulfilled in life if you don't have good physical health. So that's what I'm trying to get across. And I'll give you a specific example of my my journey. But like, um, <clears throat> you know, if you're if you're trying to be the best dad possible, you do have to take care of your physical health. That doesn't mean you you need to be uh, have a, you need to have a six pack and be shredded. Like that's extreme. Like that's what, not what I'm trying to say. Like more isn't always better with physical fitness and health. Like not everyone needs to be like a, a, a Spartan. Right. Um, <clears throat> but I think taking care of your physical health is super important to be cut, to show up the best version of you, because I'll give you, I'll, I'll give you a specific example. When I was doing my second fit to fat to fit journey in 2020, um, I was already divorced at this time. My daughters were like eight and 10. I was in a relationship with my girlfriend of two years. And we went through a really bad breakup in the middle of my fit to fat to fit journey, right? And before I was eating the food because I was trying to gain the weight and it's part of the journey. Fast forward to the breakup, <laughs> I was like already 50 pounds heavier. And now I was eating the food to numb the pain of feeling lonely and sad and depressed from the breakup. And something shifted in me where I realized uh, why people get stuck in these cycles. Because if you go through, a really hard life situation and food becomes your medicine food becomes your escape in that situation you create a vicious cycle of dependency where you constantly anytime you feel the pain anytime you feel the uncomfortable emotions it's so easy just to be like you know what DoorDash some food or like oh this ben and jerry's ice cream is like 
so good or this glass of wine or this glass of whiskey, whatever it is, like whatever you're drinking or eating, like it's so easy to gravitate towards that. And I think the other thing is like what I realized was like eating that food, living that lifestyle in the moment feels great. Like it really does. But what you don't realize is that how that's going to affect you as a man, as a dad, you know, as an employee, as a business owner, whatever it is, uh, because eating that food, living an unhealthy lifestyle affects your sleep. And when your sleep is off, your hormones are off. And so your testosterone level takes a dip. Your cortisol is through the roof all day long. So you're constantly exhausted. You're constantly on edge. Your ability to handle stress is severely diminished. And so you are more reactive. You're not able to create space between stimulus and response. And that makes you not the best version of you. So that when you show up in certain situations, you are more reactive. And you're more, you are more prone to just being, uh, just running on autopilot. And that's why, like, I, I'm such a proponent of like taking care of your physical health, not to look a certain way, but to become the best version of you so that those around you, your family can have the best version of you. But if you're not taking care of your physical health, that's a perfect example of like, okay, well, I eat this way and I still try and, you know, show up the best I can, but dude, try and show up. Like if anyone's had a newborn baby and you're sleep deprived, like, let's be honest, like you're, you're, you're in survival mode. Like you're not the best version of you. <laughs> you're, exactly. <laughs> you know, I think we all can agree that like you're not. And so living this type of unhealthy sedentary lifestyle, eating all this junk food um, does take a toll on your mental and emotional health. And um, this is why it, 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 you know, all the dads out there need to understand that it's not just about like eating this way to look a certain way. You're eating this way for your mental health and for your family's mental health too, because you will be less reactive if you're taking care of your physical health and if you're sleep deprived, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I've always kind of just said that like looking good naked is just one of the added (laughs) benefits of being fit. It's not really, that's not the whole goal. Cause like you said earlier that, you know, that's, that maybe for someone that's something they chase that's they've never maybe they've never been fit before so like you know uh they climb that peak for the first time and they're like yeah but then you know six months down the road a year down the road it's kind of like ooh, it lost its you know magic right but yeah um, uh yeah I, I love too how just clear you were about um you know the mental aspects of it and that was kind of my that was kind of an additional question to that was just mm-hmm. The, the first time around, so the second time you had the breakup, even the first time around, hmm. how hard was that for you to, like, I can only imagine that your confidence just felt completely shattered because um, you were used to looking fit. And so can you just yeah. talk us through a little bit of kind of the mind games that were going on? Because I think men especially diminish the thoughts we have in our head. Like, oh, I'll just tough it out. Or I'll just get over <laughs> it. And it's like, okay, yeah, that that doesn't work, yeah. bro. <laughs> Yeah. So the first time I did it, it, it really was a huge identity crisis for me where I'll be totally honest. I like, I freaked out like being overweight for the first time because I've never, I, my whole identity was created around my body image. So my body image was my self image. And a lot of people do this, whether you're in shape or whether you're out of shape, you create your body image as your self image. And if you don't learn how to separate those two, you're kind of setting yourself up for an identity crisis at some point because your body will not always look the same you know, I'm 42, you guys look like you're in your 30s, like, I'm sure you've kind of aged and you've realized like, hey, like, I don't look the same as I used to. So if you don't learn how to separate your body image from your self image, you will have an identity crisis, which is what happened to me. My When I was like 20 pounds overweight, I wanted to go up to people in public and explain to them like, hey, 
you know, I'm doing this experiment. Like I, here's my before picture. This is what I normally look like. I'm a healthy person. And I, like, I, I, I wouldn't take my shirt off in public the first time. Um, because I hadn't really done that inner work on myself. I didn't really understand what that was. I didn't have that level of self-awareness at the time, but it really did affect me, you know, in my first marriage where like, I, I was so uncomfortable being overweight. Like I would complain to my wife all the time and she would remind me like, you're, you chose to do this. <laughs> like you signed up for this. And so, you know, this is part of the process, but it was very humbling, but it taught me a lot about how my identity was, was kind of created around my body image. Like I was drew the fit guy in my mind for so long. I didn't really know who I was as this overweight person. And so I didn't really embrace it. Fast forward to the second time when I did it, I rocked the dad bod totally fine. Like I didn't, I had done the inner work on myself and I felt more comfortable taking my shirt off. Cause I knew like our bodies are temporary. You guys like our, we get so stuck thinking our current situation is our final destination. And so if we are overweight, we tend to think like, Oh, I'm always going to be stuck this way. But you're not like you really can change your your life and your body. Your body um, doesn't always need to be stuck in this like um, this final form. Like it's it, it's very uh, changeable and flexible if you focus on it, right? Um, <clears throat> so, anyways, that's the only advice I would give to the men out there is just to realize that your current situation is not your final destination, and you don't really need. Like I said, you don't really need to make like not everyone's priority is to have a six pack and be shredded. Like I understand like a lot of people want to be a good husband and they want to be a successful businessman or whatever it is. And that doesn't require them to look a certain way. Like in our society, we really don't need like as much, you know, muscle <laughs> as maybe like, you know, back in the day with manual labor jobs and, you know, uh, like we're just, we're, we just don't like the way our society is changing we use our minds more than our bodies. And so I just want to give men permission to realize that like taking care of your physical health doesn't mean you need to look like an Instagram model at the end of the day. Like it can look different. Every, every body looks, it looks different for each person on what their version of healthy is. And I'll be the first to say that, like, I don't think everyone needs to have the same looking body and they have to be ripped and shredded in order to be accepted by society. Even though some people might value you, you more, if you look a certain way, but just, I would say, just don't buy into that myth and just become the best version of you that you possibly can, whatever, whatever that looks like. You could kind of chase that same moving goalpost in anything, right? Oh, just make more money or just, you know, be smarter or whatever. You could get caught on that exact same loop in anything. It's yeah. just, I think people with fitness somehow, because it's, it's the outward appearance to everyone else, everyone sees it. So it's, it's somehow a lot harder. Um, yeah. Yeah. So Justin, uh, I know you've got kind of the, the question teed up that's for every guest. So yeah, man. This one away. Uh, so it's our favorite question. We ask it to every dad that comes on. Sure. Um, but what is a core memory or just a story that you have to share about fatherhood that, that you've had with your family that just really resonates with you? Mm. Man, that's a really good question. Um, so I, I think we talked a little bit about this before the podcast started, but being a girl dad, um when my girls were younger um life was so different when they were when they were little and this has taught me a lot of life lessons um especially about identity um, when they were little those were probably the best years of my life like those were the funnest times to be like this girl dad where my daughters like loved hanging out with me we did so many fun trips together we would 
have so many core memories, whether it was like, you know, every Sunday night we'd watch Sunday night football and then make them pizza. Um, or we went and watched all the star Wars movies, <laughs> like all of them. And they like fell in love with the characters and like got into the movies. It was just really fun and really cute to do that with them. And um, I think th those were some really fun core memories as well. But then also like doing holidays together with um, like with their mom. I'm very fortunate to have a good relationship with their mom still. And we co-parent really well. And I would say one of the funnest memories that I've had was uh, her and her husband took them to Japan for Christmas one year. And I was like, shoot, I don't want to be alone on Christmas. I was like, hey, would you guys be okay if I flew myself out to Japan, got my own hotel, and then just showed up on Christmas morning and surprised them? And they were like, yeah, we'll totally help you. We'll make it a surprise. We'll be this really cool thing. And the girls will like be so shocked. And so like we did, I, we set it up to where like they were about to open presents and they were like, oh, I wish dad was here. And then like this knock on the door happens and they answer it and they start screaming and yelling. And we got it on videos, like best Christmas I've ever had, probably the best Christmas ever. And it's, it's really, really cool to create memories like that. <clears throat> now that my girls are older, they're 12 and 14. They're kind of in this phase of life. Good where luck. They just, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They just don't need me anymore. They push me away. And like, I went through a really hard time with letting go of that identity of, of this dad that like had so much fun with them to where now it's like, Oh shoot. My job is to like, like they grow up and then they're eventually going to leave me. And I had this huge realization like, man, that the the like those days are kind of over and um that was a really hard pill to swallow so any dads out there uh same kind of thing when you get attached to this identity you're kind of setting yourself up for an identity crisis at some point and so anyways that's the lesson that i learned from that is just to like be as present as possible in every single moment because like this life goes by so fast and those like memories will always be there but at the same time like if you're on autopilot during that time you miss out on so much beauty of like making those memories <clears throat> because yeah man it's it's crazy how fast that time went and now it's in a different phase of life and i'm trying to find the beauty in this phase of like you know they don't need me so giving them space and that's hard but it, it comes with the territory of being a parent yeah that's uh it's a little scary because I'm only a few years behind. My daughter's eight, so <laughs> I'm like, "Oh man, <laughs> that's coming quick." <laughs> it kind of sucks yeah, to it hear does, that. But, um, no, I I couldn't agree more. We just gotta really just treasure every every moment as it happens because might be the last one. And um, so, thanks for sharing those. That's beautiful, yeah. beautiful stories. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about co-parenting. I think it's something sure. that um is obviously a, a big challenge and i think most people get it wrong it sounds like you have a pretty good situation going and so um you know there's just straight up there's a lot of fathers out there who have divorces and um yeah it's a complicated issue in our country um to say the least so what is some of the things that you've discovered um that work well and just advice for for uh, both parents in those situations um you know, yeah. to work out co-parenting because at the end of the day you want to set aside your differences for your children. Yeah. And it, it's so hard because I see so many other friends of mine that have gone through divorces where it does get ugly, unfortunately. And at the end of the day, the kids are the ones that end up suffering the most. And so the only advice I would give to people is 
you know, is to do the inner work on themselves and hope that the other person is going to do the work on themselves as well so that they can give the best life to the kids as possible. But unfortunately, ego gets in the way. And that's why I like, I read that book, Ego is the Enemy by Ryan Holiday and definitely helped change my perspective. Like, oh, I see where my ego gets involved. And even though this person did this thing to me or I did this thing to them, like you want to, like some people, they, like they want to make the other person suffer. And so sometimes kids get caught in the, in, in the, the, they get caught in the middle of, you know, these two sides kind of combating with each other and they use the kids as a form of punishment. And it breaks my heart because they think that they're doing this thing to this person, but they're ended up hurting the kid more than anything else. And so luckily when we did divorce, we kind of, um, we both were committed to doing the work on ourselves so that our kids didn't have to suffer. And I think that's the pill that you have to swallow at some point. If you're, if you really want to give your kids the best life, it's like, all right, I'm going to do the work on myself. Hopefully this other person will do the work on, on themselves as well, but that's not always the case. Doing the, like you can't control the other person. You can only control you. And I think if you show up and do the work, hopefully you're the example in that situation. And the, hopefully the other person will kind of see the importance of doing the work on themselves as well. And, and realizing that when they're trying to hurt you, they're hurting the kids and Luckily, when we divorced, we kind of came, we, we didn't get divorced in the middle of our pain. I think that was a blessing. We kind of, we kind of tried to work through the pain and went to counseling, went to therapy, did the work on ourselves. And eventually I met this life coach and she, she changed my life, man. She was the first person to teach me that I was lovable. And I think once that changed for me, how I saw my ex-wife change. And this is why it's so important to do the work on yourself because everything's a mirror of how you see you. Um, everything's a mirror of your relationship with yourself. And so if you hate yourself, you judge yourself, you belittle yourself, you beat yourself down, guess what? You're gonna do that to other people. You're gonna treat people the same way you treat yourself. Um, and so that's why I think if you learn how to operate at a place of self-love, you'll learn how to love other people if you can have empathy for yourself it's easier to have empathy for other people um so yeah i think that's that's like i think that's the most important thing at the end of the day is is that aspect of it but like i said it's it's out of your control whether that person does the work or not but at the end of the day i think like i said it, all you can do is work on you for other for, for yourself and for other people well thanks drew for being uh candid about your situation and uh yeah Good, good words of wisdom, I think, for anyone in that situation. And obviously, even if you're staying married, <laughs> work on yourself to show up best for your kids. It's not just for people in divorce situations. But yeah, amen. Thank you for that. Uh, Brandon, I think you've got one. Yeah, experience has uh, been a great teacher for you, it seems. And, you know, you, you touched on the transition of chapters for your kids as they got older. But one of the things I'd like to ask is, what is something you wish that you would have known before you became mm. a father? Uh, let's go a little bit further back, right? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think I think this whole idea of of identity and uh, the importance of the fluidity of life and how we can shift uh, and change our identities and not being stuck in that mindset of think I'm always going to think this way and being flexible with your thinking. And um, you know, one thing that I did do before 
I, I had kids was I read this book called, because I knew it was having a daughter. It's called Strong Fathers, Strong Daughters. And that really opened up my eyes to the importance of being uh, a, a, a girl dad and how valuable that relationship is between a father and a daughter. Um, the girls, daughters learn how to love from their moms, but they learn how to be loved from their dads. And that's where the switch flipped yes. for me. Yes. Um, but yeah, I think ultimately self-love and my relationship with myself mm-hmm. and and there's a really good book called the conscious parent i would highly highly recommend that book for it's any parent out there book. it's not too late but yeah if you, if i if i would have read that before and if i would have done this work before i kind of wish i could go back and reparent how i am now um it would have changed everything but you can't and experiences you know happen to shape our beliefs a certain way and that's how we change as humans so anyways yeah, we are we are big fans of the uh, Strong Fathers, Strong Daughters book. Uh, we actually oh, did an episode yeah. on that book when we were just getting started, specifically. <laughs> I think that's an absolute requirement for uh, soon to be girl dads. Yes, um, yes. <laughs> there's a, there's also a great one for for all dads called Hero by the same author, mm. Dr. Meg Meeker. That's a great yes. one too. But that's good, man. Yeah, I wish I would have. Um, I wish I could t- travel back in time and, and shake my former self and hand him the book. And be like, read this now. <laughs> so, unfortunately, we can't do that. So, uh, Drew, I know we're coming to time here. So I wanted to give you a minute to allow you to uh, kind of tell everyone where they can find you, what the best places are to find you, and uh, potentially if they want to be your client, how does that whole process go? Yeah, so right now, everything's super simple. It's streamlined. Um, it's my website, my podcast, my book, my social media handles are all fit number two fat number two fit um yeah and that's the best way to get a hold of me is just like you know hit me up on instagram probably that's when i respond to the most um but really appreciate you guys having me on um love your work love what you guys are doing and um i think this is a very important work in this world uh, i think dads can make a bigger difference than they think and i think learning how to break the the cycle is hard work but it's it's worth it in the end so yeah, man. Well, I appreciate that. And uh, so for those who are watching on YouTube, you can, uh, here's, here's his Instagram, fit to fat to fit. And uh, man, look at this. Oh, it's a video. Never mind. <laughs> I was trying to get the, uh, <laughs> just look at that thumbnail. It's insane how it's like, yeah. you don't even look like the same guy. It's nuts. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. It's amazing, man. Well, uh, I guess before we close, any any final thoughts or anything that we didn't address that last last piece of advice from Drew for dads out there? No, I think, uh, you know, I think we touched on all of it, but just kind of reiterating everything like, you know, working in just as important as working out. I know it's freaking hard to step into the arena and like, you know, uh, embrace vulnerability as a strength. But having been on both sides of it, I can tell you it's 100% worth it, even though it's scary to make that jump, to make that leap of faith. At the end of the day, it's, it's so refreshing not to have to wear a mask anymore, to take the mask off do the inner work and and honestly just learn how to love yourself because if you do that the way you show up in this world is so different and your kids are going to see that and that's what you'll be able to pass on to them um so anyways thank you guys for letting me speak my truth and um yeah this was very enjoyable for me so thank you yeah drew it was a true pleasure it's great to meet you man and uh forever every dad out there let's get climbing that mountain of fatherhood together we'll see you in the next episode amen Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Present Fathers Podcast. Make sure that you subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow us on Spotify to catch all of our amazing episodes. We will see you in the next one.